1: ny or text hope ny
0: in new york five four three two one zero all engine running off. we have a liftoff
2: and welcome back into the bama on three show this is your host clint lamb sitting here once again with jimmy stein jimmy how are we doing this morning brother
3: i am awesome what a good uh what a good week this is for sports fans because we have the SEC Basketball Tournament, the start of spring practice. So it's college football and college basketball. And uh, a lot of college football fans are golf fans too. And uh, this week is the uh, Players' Championship in, uh, in Ponte Vedra. And uh, Justin Thomas is a defending champion there. So, uh, great sports week.
2: Great sports week. That's a great way to put it. Yesterday, we talked about the quarterbacks and the outside linebackers. Today, we're going to be shifting focus to the wide receivers and the cornerbacks, two very interesting positions when you look at guys who are lost. I mean, wide receiver, you you had Jamison Williams, you had John Mechie, Slade Bolden, you had a depth guy like Javon Baker end up transferring. You know, you look at cornerback as far as the bodies lost. You lost Josh Job. you lost Jalen Armour Davis. Technically, you lost Marcus Banks, even though he left like, you know, halfway or I think actually a little bit. Uh, No, I guess it was halfway. I think it was the LSU game uh, is when he officially decided uh, to enter the transfer portal. Now he's going to Mississippi State, but he was the top backup and really would have helped in the national championship, by the way. And I think Nick Saban knows that, but, you know, he's now gone, going to end up being probably a starter for Mississippi State. So Alabama's looking, you know, they got some guys already figured out at corner. They've got a lot figured out at wide receiver based off of guys who played last year and the addition of Jermaine Burton. But there's still question marks uh, at both spots, just as far as how things are going to shake out exactly. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And then also talk about some of the depth guys and and just preview both the positions. It's exactly, I mean, it's a position preview. That's what it is. So Jimmy, we'll start with the wide receivers and we'll just go ahead and dive right in, not waste anybody's time. What are your thoughts on Alabama's receivers going into this year? And especially with what they lost? I mean, they had two guys at the combine, neither one of them participated in drills, but very productive, two one thousand yard receivers. You know, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I think there's two ways to judge uh, any unit and wide receivers uh, especially, and that is you look at the quality of the anticipated starters. You know, how good are the guys you expect to start? And then, secondly, uh, do you have depth? Uh, you know, if you lose guys to injury, uh, do you have some depth? Well, last year. Alabama was outstanding at the at the starters. Uh, you had two thousand yard receivers. Uh, they're they're two. Frankly, they're two of the all time best at Alabama. That sounds crazy, but it's not crazy at all. If production means anything, and I think it means everything, but if production means anything, then Jamison Williams and John Mechie were two of the best receivers that have ever played at Alabama. And and you you know and and Slay Bolden, the third guy. You know, he, he, he uh, I agree, he, he's less than great, less than awesome, but probably a pro football player to some extent. Um, there's been a lot of starting receivers at Alabama who never were pro football players. So Slade was good at what he did. So what Alabama didn't have a, a year ago was depth. They had bodies. That's different to me, though. Bodies just mean dudes you can stick out there. But depth to me means, do you have guys coming off the bench that can help you win the game? I'm not sure Alabama had that. And I think it really showed out in the national championship game when Alabama needed a third playmaker. There just wasn't anybody there they could really depend on. So what Alabama has to do this year, Clint, is improve the depth. It was a problem a year ago. But an even bigger issue is who's going to replace Mechie and Jamison Williams and to some extent Slade. Well, that's a real good question. That's what we're here to answer today. Who who are those guys? Because it's not just a matter of creating this depth that they didn't have a year ago, but who's going to replace the production. Who's going to replace the starters who uh, we've been spoiled now for three, four straight years with, with multiple good players and, uh, and now it sort of feels like we're starting from scratch. But here's the the good side, and I'm turning it over to you. But here, here's the upside of this: I am high on virtually every receiver on the roster. I, I've not given up on a soul. There might be one kid. I'll just I don't, I don't mean to be so negative on him, but maybe Theo Jones Bell's been around and hasn't done much yet. Uh, I'm I will say I'm starting to lose some faith that he's going to be a really good player Uh, other than that uh, you could sell me on any of these guys as guys that will step up the spring so I'm I'm sort of excited about the group as a whole but I'm also concerned Uh, I'll just say I do like Jermaine Burton the Georgia transfer I think he'll be wide receiver one he'll be an even better player at Alabama than he was at Georgia because we're going to use him better and more often and he's got a better quarterback but beyond that I'm just sort of excited about the group as a whole. But at the same time, I have some concerns.
2: Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm right there with you. I think what is the most discouraging for Alabama fans is watching what happened in the national title game and thinking, okay, that, I mean, that's in a lot of ways thats your headliners for next year, you know, you had Jacori Brooks playing, you had Ajayi Hall playing. Now granted you've added Jermaine Burden. That is going to be a headliner. Uh, he's got a ton of experience in the SEC, he played at Georgia, You know, we saw him get close to a lot of snaps. I mean, he's got by far the most experience of any receiver coming back or at least going to be in Alabama's wide receiver room. But you've got him coming in, but the national title game still kind of lingers a little bit. Here's the thing. Those were true freshmen. Those, and now granted, they had enrolled early. They got to go through spring. But, you know, a lot of your development, your biggest development happens between year one and year two. I would expect Ja'Cory Brooks, who did show a lot of positive signs, did a lot of good things. I mean, you look at that game-winning touchdown against Auburn, or I guess game-tying touchdown against Auburn, descendant to overtime and help Alabama get the win. You know, you look at some of the things that Ajayi Hall was able to do once the football was in his hands. He's just got to learn to be more consistent. He was always a raw prospect coming into Tuscaloosa. And I understand that he made some fantastic plays in the 8-A game, but just because, you know, when the ball was put, in an area where he could go and get it, and he did that in a very impressive fashion, it doesn't mean that he was ready for the big stage and he was ready to do all the little things required to compete at a high level. What what I like about this group is that there's some versatility with it. You know, Ja'Cory Brooks isn't really going to be too much of a slot guy. Really wouldn't see Ajayi Hall being much of a slot guy. Those are more perimeter players. But, you know, JoJo Earl is going to be playing in the slot. Jermaine Burton, I think, can do a lot of different things. He can play all three positions, kind of like John Mechie. I really like what some of the young guys are going to be bringing to the table. Treshawn Holden is the biggest receiver on the roster at 6'3", 214 pounds. I think last year he played at 208, so he's added another six pounds. He's that prototypical big-bodied X receiver. Not really going to do a whole lot vertically, but he's going to be a, a very reliable target underneath. He can be a target hog. We've talked about that in the past. If you give him the opportunity to. And his chemistry with Bryce Young, I think, is pretty important. Because as, you know, you're trying to establish this pecking order because there's so much uncertainty at the wide receiver position, you know, last year you had John Metchie as the true headliner. You had Jameson Williams coming in. He provided that great complimentary piece. You had Slade Bolden, who had been in the room and seen a lot of action throughout his career up to that point. The pecking order in a lot of ways was a lot more so set than it is this year. And so a guy like Treshawn Holden, who has that chemistry, you know, through going through all the you know, prospect circuits and, and things like that coming out of high school that could give him a leg up. But Jimmy, how do you view the wide receiver room as far as I wouldn't say the pecking order, but I'm looking at it like this. And, and I guess I'll put it this way. I think that you Brooks, Jermaine Burton, Jojo Earl and Treshawn Holden, all four of those guys are definitely going to be involved. I would extend it, even though I'm trying to remember a time where there were six receivers getting pretty heavy usage, But I think Ajayi Hall is going to get that opportunity to be a fifth receiver. And I think Aaron Anderson, the true freshman out of Louisiana, he's got an opportunity to come in and not only press for playing time, but I could end up seeing him be, you know, be a starter. If Jojo Earl struggling there in the slot for whatever reason, didn't really have as great of a freshman season as a lot of people had predicted once he became a co-starter so early in his career. But for you, you know, I mean, that's six players. Do you think that they go six deep and that they're getting six guys involved? Or do you think that they try to limit that, get it down to three or four main guys, maybe play a couple of more in some some certain situations? But if that ends up being the case, who is it that you like out of those six guys to emerge and be the main guys that are getting targets?
3: No, I I like the six you like. Uh, That's exactly how I would project that it would go is those six. And I think what you can do, or what I sort of expect to see, is that we see three receivers primarily, and I would guess it's the same three that you already guessed. Jermaine Burton, Ja'Cory Brooks, and JoJo Earl. I think those are the three most experienced guys and probably the three most gifted guys in terms of guys who are ready to play and who are the most gifted. But they also fit neatly into the three wide receiver spots. I mean, I, I think Burton and and Brooks are your perimeter guys, and JoJo's in the slot. That's just the best lineup. But what's neat about the other three is that Ajaya Hall can easily do some of the same things that Ja'Cory Brooks does. They're they're sort of similar guys. Uh, Trayshawn Holden, to me, is similar to Jermaine Burton in that he might be a possession guy first, but he can also burn you vertically if, if you give him a chance to do that. And, of course, Aaron Anderson – looks like a slot receiver like jojo earl so to me it's like well you have six guys in the rotation three primary guys and then three guys that can give them a break but still play with the first team that's sort of what i expect to see but i realize as you already pointed out that we haven't often had six guys in the first rotation but it may take all six to replace the production that was lost from with Jamison Williams and John Mechie and Slade. But uh that that's the six guys I expect to see. I'll be a little surprised if freshmen that arrive this summer or fall make a splash like Shaz Preston, uh, you know, like Kobe Prentice. Uh I'll be surprised if they make a splash. Um, uh, and of course, we have a couple of veterans coming back, Christian Leary, Theo Jones Bell. You know, are, are they are they going to beat out these, you know, even an Aaron Anderson, who I think is super talented? Uh, I doubt it. Um, but th- that's how I see it. Brooks, uh, Burton and Earl as the starters with Hall, Holden and Aaron Anderson basically giving them breathers and breaks and, and, and continuing to play with the first team and then the rest of the guys who are playing in the games. Uh, we would see them at garbage time i'll also throw in that even though we're talking about receivers this is a heck of a projection and and really it's 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 a rolling the dice type prediction i think amari nableck as the season progresses will be used more and more even outside uh uh, you know, garbage time. I mean, I mean even playing outside is what is what I'm saying. I think Amari Nablack, who is a tight end and he's gonna be in the tight end room, I, I can see him sort of doing a lot of wide receiver things as the season progresses.
2: Yeah, I think it's gonna take a while for Amari Nablack to really get a good feel for for playing actual tight end. He'll be listed as a tight end, but do we I mean Kyle Pitts when he played at florida i mean when is he ever lining up in line was he ever blocking was he ever be was he ever being asked to block no not really so I, i'm right there with you i think that you know Amari Nablack black is going to compete for playing time and he's going to be one of the targets in the passing game eventually and i'm thinking by the season's end you know he he will be involved i don't think he's going to be super involved to a point where he's like one of the primary targets but I think that he's going to be, you know, a contributor. And I think that him just, you know, coming in with that size, you know, six, 220, 225 pounds brings that big body presence. You know, I think he could be very useful in the red zone. I think he could be useful just as far as, you know, creating mismatch problems for opposing defenses. And Nick Saban's talked about that. And we'll, we'll talk about that more when we get to the tight ends, but I like that you bring him into this equation because that's another, technically where he'll be lining up a lot you know being a big slot he'll play some perimeter receiver especially when you're asking him to go up and get 50 50 balls you know near the red zone try to you know out muscle defensive backs so yeah he's going to be playing or lining up at a lot of the receiver positions and when he does become a contributor whenever that ends up happening i think from you know the way i view it and it's weird because the prototypical like body types and skill sets of like z receivers versus x receivers versus slot receivers Alabama has always gone like the opposite, not necessarily where they line up, but where they list him on the depth chart. Like a typical X receiver to me is, a. it's like your big body guy needs to be physical. He's going to be playing on the line of scrimmage. He needs to be able to beat press coverage. You, so you need that physical style of player. I look at the Trayshawn Holdings of the world. Uh, I look at the Ja'Cory Brooks, who's gotten a lot bigger. He's now 6'2", 196 pounds. He's gained six pounds. I definitely think by the end of his career, he's going to be playing at 210, 215. But that's that prototypical X receiver. Now, that doesn't mean that they're limited because sometimes X's, you know, they don't really have a lot of vertical speed and stuff. And I think that Ja'Cory can threaten you a little bit vertically, but I don't really think that Treshawn can too much. But the, it's like that prototypical X, they end up listing them as a Z receiver sometimes on the roster. It's like, I don't really think they care because they know that they're moving guys around a lot. But, you know, just to get fans an idea of kind of some of these style of receivers, those are your two, in my opinion, primary X guys. You know, I think Shaz Preston, despite the fact that he's only 5'11", 190, I more so view him as an X receiver because I don't think he has the same vertical speed that some of the other receivers they brought in have. I think he's great, you know, despite being, a, you know, undersized for an X receiver. I think he does a great job of playing physical, winning in contested catch situations, not minding, you know, going, you know playing in traffic. Your Z receiver, your other perimeter receiver, that's going to be a guy who lines up off the line of scrimmage. He doesn't have to beat press man as much because he can use a lot of his, you know, athleticism and agility to avoid it, but he's going to be pushing routes vertically, being that big play threat downfield, working the intermediate parts of the field. I have guys like Jermaine Burton, who I think can play pretty much all of the positions, but I have him more, you know, he has a lot more vertical ability than people realize. I have him as probably the starting Z. A little bit more important in my opinion uh, because I think the backup there is probably going to be a Jai Hall, another guy who is a big-body player, looks more like an X and definitely can play the X in my opinion, but I also think he's got enough vertical speed to also play the Z and you give him a little bit more cushion, allowing him to play off the line of scrimmage and not dealing with press man. I think that that would benefit him. But then there's another player, true freshman Isaiah Bond. I wouldn't be shocked if by the season's end – he also, you know, found his way into the mix. Not saying that I think he's going to be a part of the rotation because we're getting very, you know, loaded up as far as the guys that we're predicting to contribute. But I think with his true vertical speed, the track speed that he brings to the table, I wouldn't be surprised if in certain situations they utilize that in certain packages. You know, have specific things that are designed for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he played, you know, ten to fifteen percent of the snaps and he caught, you know, two or three touchdowns. You know, because when he's coming in, there's a reason for it, and they're utilizing him, and they're pushing the ball vertically to really threaten defenses. Because while I think Jermaine Burton can certainly do that, I think Ajayi Hall can certainly do that, I don't think either of those guys are like the true Jameson Williams caliber vertical threats. A guy like Isaiah Bond can be. And so I wonder if they want to continue to have that caliber of threat on the perimeter if Isaiah Bond is doing what he needs to do. He's not enrolling early which is why I'm not projecting he's going to be an early contributor, but by season's end, I could see him maybe getting into the mix a little bit, but just so many options. And you still got Christian Leary, who's going to be moving back from running back. Jimmy, real quick, I mean, do you have any thoughts on Leary and what he can maybe be? Because I like his potential. He got used a little bit last year, didn't have a ton of snaps, you know, got moved to running back out of necessity. Alabama is no longer going to need him there. Can he get in the mix at wide receiver?
3: I think so. I think his biggest problem is just the glut of guys like him. I mean, you know, Bond may even play in the slot. We already talked about Aaron Anderson, maybe a quick number two to Jojo Earl right out of the gate. Uh, Jones Bell plays there. Uh, There's just a glut of players there. And and I think that's going to be Leary's biggest problem. I don't think that he's not very good. Uh, I think he probably is. Uh, I think he probably is a really good player there but uh is he you know the type of guy that's going to uh you know you know uh you know beat out the jojo earls and and aaron anderson's you know I, I i don't think so but at the same time i do think christian Leary's a good player look this is nick saban's alabama we have really good players that sit on the bench and don't play because there's just not enough snaps to go around there's only one football I, I can see Leary being a good player, but just sort of caught in the numbers game a little bit. Uh, I, I wouldn't project him to be with that first rotation at wide receiver, but more just due to the depth of good players there, not, not sort of an, an indictment on him.
2: It's unfortunate because, uh, you know, JoJo Earl is going to be involved in the slot. And then I love Aaron Anderson. And I think the fact that he's enrolling early really helps his chances of contributing. And I definitely think he can also contribute in the return game He's just a dynamic playmaker, man. I mean, just when you throw on his tape, he's a big play threat every time he touches the football. You know, he's dynamic in the open field. He's got great hands, great change of direction skills, but can also be an option, uh, a potential option in the return game as well. I just think that with his talent and his leg up on some of the other receivers that are coming in, being able to enroll early, I think that's very much going to help him. And kind of last year, you know, I think that JoJo Earl was listed as a co starter with Slade Bolden because he added an element that Slade Bolden didn't have, and they expected to use that. He was a much more explosive, dynamic player in the slot than just your steady, chain moving contributor in Slade Bolden. Because you have JoJo Earl, if he's showing improvement, you don't necessarily need that element. So I think that it will take a little bit more for a guy like Aaron Anderson to be listed as a co starter going in if JoJo Earl is doing what he needs to do and progressing how he needs to progress. The good part about it is that I think that Alabama has a very talented ready to contribute by the start of the season player in Aaron Anderson if Earl is not making that progress. So that is it's one of the big reasons I love the receiving room. I think not only do you have guys who you expect to step up, you expect Ajayi Hall to take a step forward, you expect Trajan Holden to get more involved, you expect Jacory Brooks to continue to improve, which he has proven, you know, he works extremely hard, has a great attitude to expect all these things, but then you look back behind them and you say, okay, I mean, you got the Isaiah bonds of the world. You got, uh, you know, other players like an Aaron Anderson, ready to step up in the slot. In my opinion, I think you'll be ready to step up. They just have so many options that this idea that they can't find three or four very good receivers to keep that room being one of the most competitive and best in college football. I highly doubt that that ends up happening because you just have so many potential options. It's just, this is one of those positions where it's hard to predict who those guys are going to be outside of your, you know, we can say, okay, for right now I'm kind of dividing the group into two. Um, I think there's what 12 scholarship receivers. And I'd say those top six guys that we've already talked about they're at the top. And then, you know, Leary Jones, bell bond, Prentice, Preston, and law. They're all kind of in that, you know, next tier where it's like kind of developing for the future. If you show enough, maybe you can get involved, but that's kind of how I've divided. I have them divided into two groups right now anything else on the receivers before we move on to corners
3: uh not really i'll just point out that when the roster came out last week and we're we're looking at you know the the brand new you know list of uh of guys uh is is i noticed that aaron anderson is the small the shortest he's five nine on the roster he's the shortest guy but he's not the lightest wide receiver Uh, he's actually heavier than a couple of guys that are listed as taller players. And that's one of the reasons I like Aaron Anderson so much. Yeah. He's the four, four guy, probably even sub four, four. And, and, and we recruited him because of, you know, he's fast, 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 but let me tell you, he's, he's kind of thick. He'll be a tackle buster. He won't just make people miss. He will run through some arm tackles. And uh, it's one of the reasons I like Aaron Anderson so much. You were kind of the first to mention it. And I'm going to steal it a little bit as the spring and summer progresses because I like it. I'm not going to predict Aaron Anderson moves ahead of JoJo Earl. I'm not going to predict it, but I will say, watch that situation. <laughs> that, that could happen. That could really happen. Uh, yeah. Now, I think they're very similar players, though.
2: They are, yeah, because, you know, JoJo Earl, for a smaller receiver, he's kind of, you know, well put together. Uh, He plays a little bit bigger um, than that size would indicate a little bit. But, yeah, Aaron Anderson, you look at Jalen Waddle, I think his freshman year, he was like 5'10", 177. So, and that's one of the big reasons why I compare a guy like Aaron Anderson to Jalen Waddle is that they both were kind of undersized from, you know, you look at them on the roster, but when you actually look at them, they're very well put together for that. They're very compactly built. You know, Jalen Waddle has the ability to break some tackles. He can do a lot of great things in the short to intermediate stuff, but he's also got the speed. He was just a problem. There's a reason that he's taken the NFL by storm, even as a, a rookie receiver it's because he's deceptively physical for a guy who is, who looks so undersized, like as a a defender in the NFL, you think this is going to be one of those guys where he might outrun me, but if I get a hold of him, I'm going to be able to pop him pretty good. And then you realize, wow, you know, I actually went to make contact and he's a lot more physical than I gave him credit for. It makes him a problem because then you start to, you know, take that physical nature into account. And then all of a sudden he's running by you, which he still has that ability to do. And that's exactly what Aaron Anderson can do. So, yeah, I love his ability, man, and I love JoJo Earl still. I think that for some fans, because he became a co-starter so early and he just never ended up making much of an impact, I think, you know, somehow people are now all pretty down on him. But it's like, do you not realize how difficult it was going to be for him to be the only early enrollee from that class to come in, immediately asserting himself as a co-starter? And while he didn't have the freshman season, a lot of people were projecting Something he was doing behind the scenes, the coaching staff absolutely loved. And I don't think they're ready to give up on that at all. So we expect progress year one to year two. That's where the biggest jump can happen. Now we'll move to the defensive side of the football and talk about corner. And we, we've already discussed some of the guys that are losing, technically the two starters from last year, even though Alabama would be in a lot tougher of a spot at corner had Josh Jobe and Jalen Armour Davis not finished the season, not playing. You you get what I'm saying? Maybe I put that incorrectly, but point being, towards the end of the season, Josh Joe was banged up. Jalen Armour Davis was banged up. Koolin McKinstry was getting a lot of much-needed experience. And then you got Kyrie Jackson, who was able to start, you know, in the college football playoff. And he he had some up-and-down play, but now he's got some key experience. You also add Eli Ricks to the mix, a guy who has, you know, played close to, you know, well over 800 snaps over the last two seasons for LSU was a third-team All-American back in 2020 as a true freshman. So they went from this potential, if they wouldn't have added Eli Ricks and they wouldn't have been able to get those other guys some experience down the stretch, they would be in a very tough spot if Joe and Armour Davis had left, which you know they probably still would have. So now they're in a much better situation when it comes to experience. But, Jimmy, what is your thoughts on the cornerbacks? Is there any concern? Who do you expect to step up? Just uh, what are your overall thoughts?
3: I think uh, considering there's not a ton of them, there's only six on scholarship. You know, I think ideally you'd like to have maybe eight. Uh, and, and, and Alabama's only got six right now. But considering there's only six, I think it's a really deep position. Uh, even the guys that I would say are at the bottom of, the, of those six would be guys like Terion Arnold and Earl Little, the freshman that's arriving from South Florida. Uh, I'm super high on both of those guys. I mean, I, I think they might both be good this fault in terms of guys that can help you and they're probably the number five and number six guys in terms of the starters uh you know i think it's going to uh, ultimately be kool-aid and eli ricks uh, i think ultimately that's 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 your guys um now you know i'm higher on kool-aid than some people i've read some i wouldn't say it's criticism uh Maybe some people aren't aren't quite as high on Kool Aid as I am. I, I think he was fantastic, considering he was a true freshman and uh, he started. I think game two uh, of the whole season and, and got an, a pick in that game. And then when the games got big at the end of the season on the biggest stage possible, uh, who can forget Kool Aid made a fantastic play in the overtime to beat Auburn. I mean, we don't win the game without Kool Aid making that play. Absolutely. Um, and, and and then Kool Aid, you know, starts and holds his own against cincinnati and georgia you know for for the in the sec championship and and the playoff now he gave up some some catches but you know welcome to playing cornerback in big time football they all do there, there's not an all pro corner that doesn't give up catches every sunday uh that's just part of it uh but i i think kool-aid is going to be a three and done first round pick If he stays healthy that's what i i think i mean i couldn't be higher on on kool-aid um Kyrie Jackson, probably this Friday in practice, you know, he's likely, I think, to be a starter ahead of Ricks, you know, this Saturday, uh, just simply because, I mean, this Friday, just simply because Kyrie ended last season as a starter, and Ricks, even though he has been a starter in the SEC at LSU, I still think for team building purposes, you have to make Ricks earn it. You can't just say, well, Ricks, you're a starter at this other place. You're a starter here. Uh, I don't think that's a good message to send to the team. I would put Ricks at the bottom, and then uh, and then he'll move up quickly, uh, just based on his experience and physicality and maturity. Uh, and, and by the time the season starts, I think what you will see, Clint, is a uh, Kool Aid McKinstry and Eli Ricks as the uh, as your starting corners with uh, Kyrie Jackson uh, ready. To, to replace either one. And we probably wouldn't lose much if he did.
2: Correct. Yeah. I'm right there with you. And the whole Kool-Aid McKinstry thing, I did think that, you know, the true freshman, he came in bigger than I expected. Um, you know, 6'1", 190, that's, you know, not huge size, but for a first year player, now he's 6'1", 188. I think, I mean, 188, 190, that's not too much of a difference. It's not like, Oh man, he's dropped significant amounts of weight, but I've, I've seen where people have criticized him coming in a little bit bigger and then also some pictures that were taken of him doing the fourth quarter drill earlier this year, you know, during the off season, once the off season hit, people said he, he looked really big. I just, I, he was a true freshman last year and people don't understand that. It's like, I understand there, there have been guys like Minka Fitzpatrick come in as first year players and just to automatically become that guy. And Kulip McKinstry was a five-star and he got in the rotation and then he became a starter early in his career and so everybody expects hey when you're on the field you should already be that guy because you were talented coming out of high school and now you're already playing you've got to be that guy for that to happen I think the coaching staff very much likes you know where he's at there's a reason that he was able to get involved there's a reason that Marcus Banks transferred or entered the transfer portal because the coaching staff despite the fact I think Marcus Banks is a very good player and I think he's going to be a good player for Mississippi State Koolin McKinstry was the guy they were turning to first and foremost when something happened with one of those two starters. So the coaching staff likes him. We continue to talk about who they are right now as a true freshman. They were playing high school football the year before they're now playing in the sec going against some fantastic receivers. Uh, you know, everybody talks up, you know, a Jermaine Burton style of player, but to say, like, okay, do you realize if, if he's so great, that's the kind of guy that Cooley McKinstry was going against all season when he was the starter. So and being a first-year player, that's going to happen. So just allowing him to tr- make the transition you know, from year one to year two, give him another full offseason, be in the strength and conditioning program, the fourth-quarter program, get in better shape. I'm not saying he was in bad shape by any means, but get in better shape, learn the system more, learn the nuances to play the position at a very high level. I think he's going to take a huge step forward this year. And I think when you look at Eli Ricks, if he becomes what we think he'll become, Koolaid McKinstry is probably going to stay pretty busy because they're going to probably target him over Eli Ricks. And then you look in the slot there with, with Brian Branch and or Malachi Moore, experienced players. Brian Branch played extremely well. You know, they're probably going to see some targets as well. But I think, you know, Eli Ricks will also get targeted. He's not to the point where teams aren't even throwing his side of the field. But I think when you're trying to pick your poison on the back half of Alabama's defense, a young Kool-Aid McKinstry is probably going to be a guy that you try and if he's showing the improvement that we think he will, he might give up a couple of big plays just because he's the guy getting targeted And offense. These, these offensive guys are talented too. Offenses are going to make big plays from time to time. As long as you're not committing a ton of penalties downfield and, and as long as you're not getting lost in coverage or, or not knowing what your responsibility is, like we saw some guys last year, you know, his playmaking ability. I think he's going to be on full display this year. Wouldn't be shocked if he ended up with four or five interceptions. Maybe, you know, it's possible that they could even get more than that really like his uh, chances of, of taking a big step forward. And then Terry and Arnold is another guy. And you talked about Kyrie Jackson. I certainly think he's the number three corner. Certainly think he'll have a role. But Terry and Arnold is very interesting because, you know, he's got the length. He's not like super long. He's only six foot, 188 pounds, but he's got longer arms. He's got the length, the athleticism, and the physical style of play that Alabama covets at corner. And he just, he had a little bit of a tough transition going from safety to cornerback when you haven't really had a lot of experience playing corner, that's a lot more difficult than people realize. And I think he's still mastering the position and mastering the technique, but you get, you've now given him pretty much a full season. And Nick Saban talked about the progress that he made last year during the season after making that transition. And then you imagine, okay, here we are six months, eight months, you know, by the time the season starts a year later. How much more progress do you think he could have made in that transition? So, I mean, he seems like a guy, I mean, on three, had him uh, rated as a five-star player. He feels like a guy that's going to want to contribute. I worry that he might not get that opportunity, but there's also a part of me that thinks he might be so good. They have to figure out a way to get him on the field. It's just, when you look at, you know, the top three corners that we've already talked about, you look at the pretty much going too deep with Malachi Moore and with Brian Branch, a star, You even look at safety. You're getting both your starting safeties back. I think long-term, a a much more clear path to playing time in the future maybe is safety, but at the same time, Alabama is kind of telling you where they think the cornerback position is going to be because they're targeting so many in this 2023 class. It's such a priority for them. Not only do they have a lot of talent at their disposal in this class, but the only two commitments they have are corners. Doesn't mean they'll stay at corner necessarily, but... You know, I think that the the coaching staff is trying to head something off. Eli Ricks is going to be a junior if he has the season that we think he might. You know, he could be gone. Kyrie Jackson's going to be a senior. He could maybe take advantage of that COVID year. I don't even. I mean, I don't know if JUCO guys got that. He was in JUCO in 2020 when that whole thing went down. So I don't know what the what the protocol is there, but he could end up being gone because he's a senior. They could be left with a little bit of some depth issues maybe. And I think they're trying to head that off. Because they don't, I mean, they only have, what, five guys or six guys right now? Yeah, six guys. Anyways, Earl Little, to me, I like his future at star more than I do perimeter corner. He's not a big guy. He's only like 165, 170 right now. Very physical, though, and very sticky in coverage, loves, you know, scrappy player, man. And I just think that having that guy in, in the box coming up and playing and run support on perimeter runs you know trying to run off tackle and things like that I, even though he's not a huge guy I love his long-term outlook at star so I'm not even really viewing him as a perimeter corner for the long term so that's another area you know I don't think they have a lot of options for the future of guys who are going to be able to play on the perimeter here in a couple of years so they're trying to head that off so I'm hoping Arnold sticks around because I think he could be a huge part of Alabama's defense in the future but you know Jimmy real quick before we hop out of here, that's one final guy that I at least want to touch on. We know what are your thoughts on Tyrion Arnold and, and his fit in Alabama secondary, not only this year, but in the future.
3: Yeah. I hope Terry sticks around because my concern is that, and since Alabama doesn't really substitute a lot of defensive back, they just sort of play their six guys, right? I mean, the four starters, the nickel guy and the dime guy that that's who plays and, and no one else plays until the game's over till garbage time. And because Alabama is earning, you know, because there are seven guys that are returning to the team, uh, six guys returning to the team and then adding Eli Ricks, seven guys with SEC game experience. It's just hard for me to imagine how Terry on Arnold's going to fit in this year, uh, because, I mean, who's he going to beat out? I mean, the, the most plausible guy he beats out is Malachi Moore. <laughs> and and Malachi is basically a two-year starter. You know at alabama so it, it's kind of hard to imagine but if tarion sticks around unfortunately alabama's db group could really get wiped out by the nfl draft battle and helms are both seniors Branch is draft eligible malachi's draft eligible ricks is draft eligible kyrie jackson's a senior uh tarion arnold will have opportunities aplenty plenty in 2023 to win a spot anywhere corner star safety and he's capable of playing all of it so to me the dbs that get frustrated because there's no playing time guys just stick around it's it's coming it's coming quickly
2: yeah i agree with you you know i, I really don't want to say this but at the same time i haven't even brought him up and, and there's a reason for that and i really hope that I'm sitting here talking, you know, in December or something. I'm like, man, I don't know in the world. I was so low on this guy. You know, he's completely blown me away. But, Jimmy, am I wrong in thinking about Jacquez Robinson in the same light that you were thinking about Jones Bell on offense? Well,
3: yeah, I agree. Jacquez is another guy that's been on the team for about three years now. And he's yet to make a run at first or second team. And he ain't been in the picture to be a starter or push a starter. And he's been there for three years. It's fair if some if somebody somewhere says, Well, I'm giving up on that guy. That's fair. Uh, I get that. But one, one point though, first of all, Jock was is a corner, so he's coached by Nick Saban every day. Secondly, we've had a few DBs recently that. Sort of came out of nowhere and were late career starters. One of them is 6'1197 and just ran a 4'3'9 at the combine this weekend. Yep. Jalen Arm did not start a game at Alabama until his fourth year on campus. And then he not only became a starter, he performed at an all SEC level. And this weekend, I think, proved he should be a day two selection in the NFL draft. So for those who want to give up on Wes Robinson, i point out Jalen Armour Davis and uh, before him, how about a Deontay Thompson, who also didn't start until his fourth year on campus and became an immediate starter and an NFL player. So, you know, that's why we shouldn't give up on anybody, really. Uh, they, they wouldn't be there if they weren't talented and kids all develop at different paces. They, they, they're, they're, they don't all show up ready to play on Sundays. Uh, it takes a while for some of them. So uh, I'm not giving up on Jacquez, but the competition at his pos- position is very, very tough. It's hard to get a deal.
2: It is tough for 2022, but that's why I say I think he goes through a third year without seeing significant playing time, hardly seeing any playing time, you know, outside of maybe special teams. But we were talking about 2023 and how important it could be for a guy like Tyrion Arnold if a guy like Jacquez Robinson, you know, because it took that situation, we all thought Jalen Armour Davis with his talent coming out of high school, he was much rated much higher coming out of high school than a guy like Jacquez Robinson. And so was Josh Job. Josh Job's another one that didn't really see a whole lot of action until he started getting a little bit later in his career. And then he became like a full-time starter, you know, in year three or whenever it actually ended up happening. But at the same time, it took the opportunity like this past year where you're bringing in some y- talented young players, a Tyrion Arnold who you plan on playing at perimeter corner. You're bringing in kool McKinstry, who was a five-star guy, uh, who you expected to end up eventually taking over a starting job. A lot of people predicted a guy like kool was going to win the job eventually or eventually take it from Jalen Armour Davis. And that, I mean, maybe you can argue that that happened, but I think injuries played a huge part in that. I think Jalen Armour Davis would have had a much better year had he been able to stay healthy, and I also think Josh Joe would have as well. I don't think people realize just how much those guys were hindered by injuries throughout the season and how much that hindered Alabama's defense, by the way, as well. But anyways, point being, for 2022, the path to playing time. We're talking about – because I think Jacquez is, for the most part, he's a perimeter guy. He's got a lot of length. He's 6'2", close to 200 pounds. I think that he's not really a guy that you're going to be playing at star safety, even though I think he can maybe play some safety. He's got the length. And, Anyways, point being – We talk about perimeter corner. I think you got three really good ones. And then if you get to your number four guy, my guess would be that Tyrion Arnold would be that number four guy. So you would need a heck of a lot for Jack Wes Robinson to get on the field in 2022. But you talk about a guy who will have a ton of experience in the system. People aren't going to like the comparison, but if he ends up being able to push for a starting job next year, maybe he finally becomes like that Chris Owens style of player where he's been just, he's been a part of it. Now, granted, Chris had seen, you know, a lot more action. He had seen, you know, some time at left tackle. He'd seen some time at, at center. So it's a little bit different. Robinson has barely played at all. I and mean, in fact, he hadn't he hadn't really played any. But I do think that, you know, fans also shouldn't give up on him. But right now, I view him in the same way as I view Jones Bell, where it's like, you're now an upperclassman. I don't see a clear path to playing time for you you've got to start making moves because if you don't find it now, like receiver is very up in the air. I think next year with all these young guys who are going to be either freshmen or sophomores coming back, if Jones bell has not inserted himself into the competition this year, I don't really see much hope for him next year for Robinson's a little bit different because the position's going to look a lot different next year at corner, but it's time for him to start making some moves up the depth chart where he, you know, people are like, okay, he's ready to step up and at least compete for the job come 2023. That should be his goal. So that's going to do it for today's episode of the Bem on three show. Uh, it's been fun talking wide receivers and corners. We're going to be back tomorrow and speaking candidly, I don't really remember what the position groups are for tomorrow.
3: <laughs> hey, you laid it out, uh, for, for, uh, for me this week. And I, I didn't commit it to memory is tomorrow. Uh, o-line d-line
2: it is yeah it's it's offensive line defensive line and which will be fun we talked a lot about the offensive line last week and so we probably won't spend a ton of time like we will still talk about it we'll still rehash some of the stuff that we discussed but it'll probably be more so of a defensive line episode and then you know we'll, we'll move on and get to thursday and friday but jimmy this has been fun it always is i appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother
3: no looking forward to tomorrow offensive line is the question mark of the whole spring so yeah we've talked about it a lot but that's, that's the position we're going to be talking about all the way up until until A-Day. It's, uh, it's the one unit, uh, like I pointed out this morning in the Crimson and Coffee piece, uh, the challenge is improving the unit despite losing your best player in, uh, in Evan Neal. So, a lot to talk about tomorrow.
2: It's another position where it's like a lot of uncertainty, a lot of question marks, but a lot of talent and a lot of options. It's just figuring out which ones are going to step up and be one of those starting five. So, once again, appreciate you, Jimmy. Appreciate all everybody listening in. We love talking to you guys, love sharing the position previews and doing all that stuff. If you have any questions, we still have a couple of mailbag questions that we have not gotten to yet. We'll probably slide some of those in tomorrow just because we probably won't spend as much time on the offensive line, so we'll keep it more so to one position, even though we'll still, like I said, rehash some of that stuff. And we'll get a couple of those things knocked out. So, if you have any mailbag questions, anyone throw it into the mix, not going to guarantee we get to it, like, tomorrow but we'll try to get it in by the end of the week uh, so we appreciate you guys and we'll talk to you guys soon this has been the bam on three show and i'm your host clint lamb
0: madness is here say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed it's time to go dancing on america's number one sports book right now new customers get two hundred dollars in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in present and select
1: states. First online real money wager only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call one hundred Gambler or visit fanduel.com/rg. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio.